You're listening to the Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Hi everyone, I'm so excited for today's episode. It's an interview with Shay from Crab and Cleek. Crab and Cleek is known for their amazing canvas totes and they also have flagstick golf collection. So Shay and I will talk a little bit about her journey, which is really interesting, and also um, her MS, which I think is a really inspiring and motivating um, story for a lot of us. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Shay from Crab and Cleek. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, my name is Shay, and I have the brand Crab and Cleek, which we design very fun classic tote bags, but I call it tradition with a twist, taking the classic boat tote and putting very whimsical and fun, but also some of the expected motifs that people in the preppy world are drawn to. And Definitely. we also have a, a golf division, which is a lot of fun for me. <laughs> I love that. All right. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Were you always creative or did you always have this entrepreneurship um, drive? Yes, all the above. I <laughs> was born in a very small town outside of Milwaukee, a suburb, but moved to another small town in Pennsylvania when I was turning five. So I really grew up in... Um, a town called Oakmont, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. Uh, very, very small and very, but famous for its golf course. It's a, they have a championship golf course that us opens are played on and people um, from all over the world want to play there. And I didn't quite understand as a kid, what, how wonderful an opportunity I had to learn to play golf there, but I I definitely understand it now. (laughs) And I, I had a wonderful childhood. Um, I'd say it was pretty easy till about seventh grade, but it was um, youngest of seven. My parents were wow. older when they my parents were older when they had me. I was very very unexpected, <laughs> and um, the closest sibling in age to me is almost eight years older than I am. But it okay. was um, a lot of fun. I it, and and other ways it was very hard because I felt like I had four dads and four moms <laughs> <laughs> um but also a lot of fun and I uh, never wanted to go to bed because I thought I should be able to stay up like the older kids and I got to go on wonderful vacations and got to be on a swim team and golf and tennis and although it, it was wonderful it was um my parents had a family business, though, which we were all okay. involved in at very young ages of helping in any way we could. Mm-hmm. And So that's kind we, of where your entrepreneurship came in then, I guess. Yes. And I, my mom used to say, I think I drove her a little bit crazy, that I always <laughs> had a project. Like <laughs> The dining room table or kitchen table was always full of one of my projects, even if it didn't even have to be for school. And it could be that I was creating a new business or I was... Uh, making a store. I love playing store. So retail was definitely in my blood. I also love playing school, being a teacher, Mm -hmm. but um, also was adventuresome. We had what I thought were woods behind our house and seemed like 
we were going on adventures, but the neighborhood kids, we would leave early Saturday morning and go out into the woods. And now I realize it wasn't really that big. But <laughs> it seemed and, it. Yes. And we'd be gone all day in those woods. So I had a great childhood. It was very, um, there, there was definitely entrepreneurial spirit of when I had a lemonade stand, it wasn't just a lemonade stand. I went all out, but yeah. I also, um, we had an art club and we just called it art club, which is not very creative, but you know, <laughs> our sunroom at my house, my friends and I would meet and we'd paint. And, um, so yeah, I was always entrepreneurial, always creative and drove my mom crazy because there was always a project. <laughs> and it and sounds drove- like, your love for, you know, sports and golf kind of started at a young age then too, which I know is so um, important in the brand as well that you have now. It did. We have a big sports family. My dad was a very good hockey player, played on the national team. My brother oh, wow. coached. My brothers all played. They, my dad was a great golfer, um, was a scratch handicap at one time. Mm-hmm. And I think all three of my brothers have been. But my dad learned to play golf as a caddy. He um, oh. he grew up very, um, during the depression and it was Mm -hmm. quite a struggle for his family. And he worked hard and caddied and learned the pro kind of took him under his wing and taught him the game. And he told my mom that someday we're going to belong to a great course. And it wasn't about the country club. It was about the course and the competition of the golf. And when we moved from Milwaukee to Pittsburgh, or to Oakmont, rather, my father looked at a map where the business he was buying was, and it was seven miles from Oakmont. And he said, we're going to live in Oakmont because of the golf course, and we're going to join there. And my mom said, you have seven children. You should be picking a town for the school district, <laughs> not for the golf course. But it was definitely, we're a big sports family. We're very competitive. Um, and it's a lot of fun. We're competitive with everything. And now I have 21 nieces and nephews and oh my gosh. Uh, the competition continues, but it's a lot of fun. I'm very blessed to have a big family. That's so amazing. It sounds like your childhood was great. And it sounds like you even learned, you know, about working hard from your father. It sounds like a little bit as well. So where did you attend college? Um, and what did you study? I went to the University of South Florida and my, I originally was studying in, my plan was to study theater Mm -hmm. and did a pre-college program at Carnegie Mellon and was looking at some schools for theater. And I, I did theater in high school and did well with it, enjoyed it a lot, took a pre-college program at Carnegie Mellon, which is a very good drama school. And it was so competitive. And as I said, I love competition, but the stress and the pressure, even at that pre-college level was a little bit frightening to me. Mm-hmm. So I also that summer was volunteering at a couple places in Pittsburgh. One was the St. Peter's Child Development Center. I worked with some children with Down syndrome and I loved it. And Loved the people I met. And my mother had been a speech pathologist and worked with a lot of children with Down syndrome. And I thought I wanted to go into special ed. So I switched right before, decided to go to USF where two of my brothers had gone. One of my brothers played on the golf team there and we had a home there. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go here for a year, kind of figure out what I want to do and then transfer. But I never left (laughs) and started studying 
special ed and into it, I, I did, I went to my advisor and asked if I could do an internship early and I was working at a place and I felt I was bringing it home with me. There were, um, some children there whose parents were struggling with, mm-hmm. with, um, kind of with their children. It was, there were some sad stories at the place I was working and I, w- I was going home upset every night. And I thought I'm never going to be, I'm going to take this home every night. I'm too close to it. Maybe it's not the field for me. And I was dating a gentleman who, a boy who was taking a international studies course that he loved and he talked about all the time. So I decided to take it the next semester and fell in love with international studies and political science Oh wow! and started studying that and thought about going to law school then, which my dad was thrilled because I had played an attorney in high school and he thought I should be an attorney. He didn't, he didn't put it off to being a good actor. He thought, Oh, he should be an attorney. <laughs> so thrilled with that. And that was my plan, but I kind of wanted to work for the state department and travel. And my, um, I think, as I said, my childhood was great until about seventh grade. My mom, my mom was sick through a lot of after that and died when I was 15. And then my father died right at the time I was graduating from college. And so I decided I did not want to go to law school. Then I wanted to take a little breather Mm -hmm. and I nannied for a bit. I worked retail. I um, worked at Banana Republic and my brother and I, started a business. He was an accountant and he had always been creative and had wanted to be an architect. And we decided to start, um, we started a little store and then we went to a trade show to try to find some product for the store and we couldn't find any t-shirts we liked. So we started creating our own. And my brother was really the designer of that and has become quite successful in the design field and is definitely a mentor to me. But that's wow. how I, that's how I got into this creative endeavor is I think it was always there and I took a few um detours but learned a lot and that's kind of how I got into design. Definitely. Oh my gosh, I learned so much about you and I've known you for years. <laughs> I had no idea that you had gone to school originally for theater and that, you know, special ed and all of that. Wow. <laughs> That is quite the journey. And I'm sure, you know, you learn so much from, I feel like all of your experiences that help you in the future and you never know how necessarily, but, you know, I'm sure the special ed probably helps you with working with others today. And then um, the theater, I'm sure helps you a little bit with the creativity today. It's just so funny how everyone's, everyone's paths go. Um, They they shape you and kind of, I, I don't regret any of those. Um, you know, I've absolutely, I've learned from all of it and met some amazing people through it. And I definitely think it does help with, it, it does help me in my creative endeavors. Definitely. All right. So your first job, then you had this store, I guess, which then turned into a brand with your brother. So talk a little bit um, about that then before Crab and Cleek. So I had a couple, I, I think I had a side hustle be, before side hustles were the, <laughs> thing. Uh, at the time I, w- I was a nanny um, and also working at Banana Republic and also my brother and I had a store. So it was nonstop, but I'm, I'm happiest when I'm really busy like that. Yeah. When there's never any downtime. Same. And so my 
brother went on to um, American Eagle took notice of some of the t-shirts and hats that he was great at designing and I was good at selling and kind of uh, let him take the lead on that creativity. He went to work for American Eagle and then he has worked for J crew and um, many wonderful brands, but has his own very successful brand that we're very proud of him. And I then did work for a company as a sales manager selling um, linens and uniforms to hotels and country clubs and hospitals and really learned a lot about sales and customer relationships then and goal setting and then through my brother and what he was doing he started his own brand called double a that was quite successful in selling at the the kitsons and the fred seagulls and the barneys of the world and i wanted to take what he was doing and kind of reinterpret it for the golf world because i thought that golf needed something fresh so Mm -hmm. I was young and started a golf line called Pennant that started out in the beginning with an interesting marketing niche of just selling to top 100 golf courses, which is a for golfers know that they want to play. It's kind of a club. They want to play all the top 100 courses that are rated by Golf Digest and mm-hmm. started um, selling to a handful of clubs and started seeing some success. And one of the golf pros said to me, you should stay word of mouth, keep it small like this. And I thought, well, it's doing so well. Why would I not go to the PGA golf show and introduce it to the world? (laughs) And I did. And I should have listened to that golf pro because it was amazing. We had people lined up to get into our booth. We wrote more orders than we could handle. Golf Week wrote an article about the little brand and it blew up. And I was undercapitalized. I didn't understand distribution. I couldn't manage the production. My strengths are in the creative side and the selling, but not in production management, not in numbers. And it was for a young person in there. You know, I was in my late twenties. I had just gotten married. I had just been um, going through some health issues. It was overwhelming. So I put that on hold and started doing freelance design for a lot of junior brands doing t-shirt design. And that was the most money I've ever made in my life. (laughs) Um, Somebody, lots of stores coming to me and saying, we need this. We're doing a surf story or we're doing a rock and roll story. And we need you to come up with 12 graphic tees around this and it was financially great, but it was not fulfilling because I was creating kind of under someone else's direction. Uh-huh. And although that can be challenging and fun, one day my niece walked into my design studio. They came by to visit. I think we were going to lunch and I covered up what I was working on because at the time, I don't know if you remember the... Um, double entendres and innuendos became the rage in graphics. Yeah. And I'm not prudish. I'm fun. But when I realized I, I didn't want my niece wearing the messages mm-hmm. I was putting on t-shirts and it had become so far away from any graphics, it was just words. And they were not words you want 
like your daughter or niece walking around with. Yeah. So I felt sick to my stomach and thought, wow, I'm making a lot of money right now. So I'm secure, but I'm not happy. And I was in Target shopping and there was a young man in front of me, I think college age. And he was wearing a shirt that said, I think it said 1979 Dance-a-thon for leukemia. And it looked great. It was washed out, this vintage graphic, the sleeves a little short and just worn in all the right places. And I said, where did you get your t-shirt? And he said, oh, at Goodwill. And I said, oh, so it's real. And he said, yes. And I thought, I couldn't stop thinking about that shirt. And I was, my brother was in town from New York and we were having dinner at my sister's and I got there and I always kind of go to my brother when I have a new design concept. And I said, I figured out what I want to do. I want to recreate vintage charity event t-shirts and donate money back to the causes. And I want to work with ones close to my heart. And he, it was one of the ideas that he did not tell me to shelf or throw in the, in the garbage can. (laughs) He was actually very interested in it. And the family all got involved in the conversation. Like, well, you have to do MS, of course, and you have to do cancer for mom and dad and and for my sister, who's a breast cancer survivor, and you have to do epilepsy for my nephew. And we, I got very excited and started calling nonprofits saying, hey, I want to recreate old t-shirts or from your archives or, or recreate, design new ones to look like they were done in the 70s and we want to give money back to you. Mm-hmm. And they thought I wanted to make their walk t-shirts, you know, on a big PT kind of, and oh, you need to talk to, and I said, no, I'm going to sell these in stores like Barney's and Scoop. And, and they said, why, why would they buy these? And this, it was so hard to try to give them money at first and (laughs) to get people to understand. And I, I finally did. And we worked, um, with those first handful of nonprofits that were about my story and our lookbook was people, you know, a lot of them were my family members in it wearing the t-shirt and they would write a little blurb of why they were wearing that, what it meant to them, what their relationship was. And then it became about other people's stories because people were writing to me saying, Hey, could you work with this? Will you work with autism speaks? Will you, and then we started working with some celebrities and their nonprofits and their foundations. And that was very exciting. And I had um, some amazing experiences and got to attend some wonderful events and wow. meet some celebrities who really cared about their foundations and were very authentic, true people. And um, it was very, very exciting. And then 2008 happened. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, um, they... Um, big department stores like Bloomingdale's were canceling huge orders. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is, I need to start going back to doing freelance design. And that's kind of what I did for a couple more years. And then, um, and then just thought, you know what, like the preppy world needs something a little fun and fresh. And I wanted to get back into golf. And that's kind of how Crab and Cleek started. And I love that. Oh my gosh. I, once again, learned so much, even though I've known you for years about that journey. And I love, you know, I think it's inspiring and so many people can relate to that, the ups and the downs and, you know, once you think you figured it out, but then like, no, you didn't. And then finding Mm -hmm. the new path and all of that. Um, 
and just keep going forward and being creative and inventive. It is. So, and that's, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. So let's talk a little bit about Crab and Clique then as your, mm-hmm. your journey now. Um, so what was the inspiration? You said, you know, that the preppy world needed something fun. What inspired you then, you know, to make these canvas totes? Was that the first product then? Because I know you also have tunics and sweaters and things like that. Yeah. So I moved to the D- Washington DC area to do a, I was supposed to be here for six weeks to do a project um, in between. I didn't tell you when I had give and take the t-shirt line, I had also opened a cupcake shop, the first cupcake. Oh my gosh. And um, that was the, the most fun. That was great. And what I learned that I liked most about that was designing the packaging and the space. We okay. had an amazing space and our packaging, was, our product was great too. But someone asked me to come to DC. They were starting a restaurant and they had seen Coco's, my cupcake shop, and they had seen the space and the packaging and the marketing and the branding we did and said, you know, I would love you to come help um, do that with my restaurant in Bethesda, Maryland. So I, it was supposed to be a six week project and I ended up loving the area uh-huh. It um, felt a lot like my childhood again. I, I was going to the driving range <laughs> to pick up balls, and I started horseback riding. And it, if I was, li- I was not just working. I was working hard, but I was finding balance in my life again. Uh-huh. And I loved it here. And I was kind of getting back in touch with my preppy roots. And I wanted to go back into the golf business after all the mistakes I had made with because I've made every mistake in the book as being an (laughs) entrepreneur. And um, I was ready to get back into it and learning from my mistakes. And we were going to start, I was going to start a golf brand and found an investor. And we met somebody who was making bags in the preppy world. And they kind of had just a few bags and needed some help evolving the brand, their brand. And I thought there could be more than crabs and whales and lobsters on bags. And I know the first meeting I had with them when I said I wanted to put a ginger jar on a bag, um, the investor shook his head and the other gentleman was like, ah, I don't, I, I don't get it. And I said, trust me, every woman that's going to carry this bag has at least one ginger jar in her home. Yeah. And they, still, <laughs> they were shaking their head. I don't get it. And I said, please trust me. And it is, still our number one selling bag. So, um, and I said to the investor, does your, do you have some ginger jars in your home? And he said, well, yes, but you know, they're on, they're on tables. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. And that's then the French sailor shirt and, you know, the lobster bib and the main fisherman. um, Those were the things that got us attention. And I felt were something fresh. And it was um, a huge compliment to me that I had, needlepoint companies and stationary companies say to me at at market, you know, you, you showed us that we could put other things on our product and we've been inspired by this. And that was, that was great to hear. I said to some of them, well, why don't we collaborate instead of (laughs) you, you know, let's, let's work together and make some fun things. And so that's how, um, that's how Crab and Cleek started and Cleek a lot of people don't know is a golf term. It's a vintage. Um, if, if you didn't know, it's an old term. You probably know because you work with our brand, but it's mm-hmm. an old term for golf clubs. And it was, yep. excuse me, it was combining our nautical 
um, world with the golf world. And golf took a little bit of a, um, on the back burner for a bit because the bags really took off. Mm-hmm. And now golf is kind of right there with with the bags. We have a kind of a growing golf business, and I love being back in that world. It's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of great people, and mm-hmm. still some of the same people that I knew when I had pennant so many years oh, ago. Wow. So it's um, so that's how Crab and Cleek. It kind of came, came full out. circle then. <laughs> it, absolutely, and also right before the pandemic. Um, I had been talking with my old partner and give and take. And we, I was saying, I, I kind of, I felt like I wanted to be more purposeful with crap and clique. And I was exploring ways to do that. And then the pandemic happened and it kind of, thankfully, a lot of us had to pivot and figure out ways to be stronger, smarter, and more purposeful. And we were already working on getting more purposeful, but this has kind of accelerated that. And I, yeah. I think you people will see some of, um, we were really early in cause related marketing with give and take. It was just like us and Tom's shoes. And mm-hmm. now there's a lot of people in it, which I think is great. And I yeah. think you'll see that we are going to start to work some of what it will really come full circle and some of what I was doing with give and take, you'll start to see infused into Crab and Cleek. Oh, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about the design process for you with Crab and Cleek. I know people are always interested in this. So what's it like going from when you have an idea for a new toad or a new product to actually, you know, seeing it in shelves and stores? Um, you know, how long does that take and sort of what's that process like? So when I think of a, an icon for a bag, I do a ton of research and do mood boards and will, uh, you know, do a ton of printouts or cut things <laughs> from magazines. And I know a lot of people, I, I do both. I do them in Illustrator, you know, people do mm-hmm. Pinterest boards. I, I build them in Adobe Illustrator, but I also physically build them and have them on the wall. And, you know, we're, we're, working on a tennis story. So I'm surrounded by old vintage racket covers and like even physical things. I almost kind of build a room around what I'm working on and live it for a while. And then it goes from kind of a, you know, a sketch to then into a, we have to turn it into a graphic and illustrator. And sometimes it's, you know, I think there are designs that are great sellers for us that I wish were spaced differently, or I wish the scale was different. And I struggle with, should we kind of revise that and freshen it up? And it's really hard to edit our line, which I try to do. But every time I'm about to edit something out and just carry forward a few, some, that one all of a sudden starts selling really well. Yeah. <laughs> and so but we, we have to, that's a hard thing to balance is learning. There are some that I probably can never edit out. They're just going to become a staple of our brand. But I, it, it's a struggle of how we, we have too many SKUs probably right now. And, but it is, I definitely kind of live with the designs for a while. And like, mm-hmm. um, I do it with a trade show booth too. And when my brother used to work with me, it drove him crazy because I would actually build the booth in, in our space. And um, it was kind of hard to kind of walk in our um, <laughs> work out of, but I, kind of, that, I, I have, I'm very visual, but I, I'm also um, 
I don't know if this is a term, but like physically visual. I have to kind of touch it and feel it and live with it for a while. Okay. That's so funny. Um, so then how long does it take then once you come up with the idea and kind of the vision to then get it manufactured and produced? Um, in a perfect world, 30 days, but okay. it's, it's never perfect. Um, you know, we, all of our golf product and our clothing is made in the U.S., and that's much easier for us to manage and control, much more expensive, of course. But the bags are made overseas and there we've had, um, you know, there, there's hiccups. We, we make manufacture the bags in India and there are times where they, you know, it's monsoon season, which is yeah. really a thing. And it will affect the drying of the screens and we can't, um, it delays printing or things, you know, it's, it, it's never easy. Production is the hardest part of the, this business and part I like the least it's my least favorite part of the business we're exploring trying to make the bags in the U.S. okay it's very hard to do and it's going to be a lot more expensive but Mm -hmm. we are we're definitely exploring it and we're, we're going to try because it would make us be able to bring some new designs to market um more quickly and be able to manage it better definitely and yeah you could you're able to be more hands-on, I guess, when it's here mm-hmm. in the U.S. versus over in, and you can react quicker. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Flagstick, um, your other little, yes. I guess it's an umbrella under Crab and Cleek, but your other it little is. brand. Um, and so what was the idea behind this? You kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more about it and um, what the products are and what that means to you. Yes. And so I guess when we talked about my background that you've been learning a lot about, one of the times <laughs> when um, I started doing freelance for other people was there's a company in Pittsburgh who had, a um, they have a line called Little Earth where they made handbags out of license plates and belts from bottle caps. And they were very early in the repurposing and upcycling of things. And they had an NFL license and they came to me to do a project and said, hey, you know, what what else can we do besides making bags out of license plates? Do you have any ideas of repurposing? And I said, why don't you make them out of football jerseys? Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I used to do t-shirts, I saw every sign I passed, every, I see t-shirts and everything, and now I see bags and everything. But at the time, <laughs> it was like, what else can I make a bag out of? And the NFL bags did very well for them. And then I love golf. And so in the first one I made was, I think, in the year 2007, I took a U.S. Open golf flag from Oakmont. The Open had been there and made it into a handbag and I wore it around. Oh my gosh, you made it that far, like long ago? Yes, I did it that long ago. But it it takes, some things I can bring to market quickly and sometimes, some things I sit on until I can make it perfect. And that's Mm -hmm. one of my flaws is sometimes you just have to, you have to fully bake the product, but be aware that you might have some issues and might have to change fit or straps or hardware and that that's okay. (laughs) But I made the first one, I wore it around the US Open and the pro there and the buyer saw it and wanted to order it immediately. There were men um, stopping me, asking me, "Where, where did you get that? I want to bring it home as a present to my wife. And when a man wants to buy a woman a handbag, you know, you have something kind of good. Definitely. I, um, but it wasn't until, you know, a few years ago that we really started doing golf again and, and brought that to market. And we, we actually use fabric from a 
golf flag manufacturer and we make new ones that clubs can put their logos on it or their member guest theme or do special colors, do school colors, club colors. And then we also make them, people will send us a flag um, because they had a hole in one and they on that course and they have the flag or a tournament they went to with their father and they want to make it into a dop kit for their dad. And so it's um, flagstick. I love it's one of the things um i'm most proud of and have the most fun with and so it's all product made from golf flags we do handbags jackets dop kits shoe bags wine totes and um, backpacks and i think that's an area you'll see us evolve more and more in and that we during when the pandemic hit it was you know, we all talk about the, the word pivot. We all had to pivot and figure out. And I had to figure out how to keep my, we had opened a little cut and sew work room in Baltimore. And I wanted to keep those people working. And yep. most of our retailers that we sell wholesale to were understandably not able to take orders and they were closed. So I reached out to a lot of the golf tournaments and reached out to the PGA tour and some of their tournaments that were canceled, the dates on the flags wouldn't be relevant and said, Hey, can we take those, make them into product and donate a percentage back to the communities that were going to be impacted because where these major golf tournaments happen those communities get an infusion and um, an influx of tourism and they were going to be, or they are also, a lot of them are aligned with different nonprofits. And I had to be sensitive reaching out to people because everybody was trying to figure out what they were going to do. So it was, but I want to be sensitive and you might not be ready to talk about this because you're devastated. Your tournament's been canceled, but I also don't want to miss the opportunity for you and for us so we reached out kind of early and are doing that and um, we'll be able to kind of show some of that product soon, hopefully on our social media, but I'm very proud of that and excited about that. And that's just another evolution of Flagstick. That's amazing. And I love, you know, with Flagstick, there's so many memories tied to it. I feel like with that product for people, um, the happy memories of trips or, you know, hole in one and things like that. <laughs> so it's such a, such a happy brand. Um, so going off, you know, COVID obviously was a crisis that every business had to deal with. What are some other challenges that you face? Some of your greatest challenges with business and um, everything? Um, I'm not a numbers person. And I always say that I'm a creative and not a business person. And my one brother pointed out to me one time, he said, Shay, you are a business person. You might not like the numbers, but you are a business person. But I tend to kind of let other people in the past handle that part and have realized that I really do have to understand that. Production is always an obstacle when you're not managing it yourself. I'm, I'm terrible at production management. I don't like it. I'm learning a lot more and I'm learning that you you have to be strong and tough in it Uh sometimes that's hard for me I always say that I'm really really nice until I'm not (laughs) (laughs) and I think I need to balance that I I watched a master class recently with Sarah Blakely um, that started Spanx and she talked about that balance and that 
that you you have to be nice, but you also have to be strong from the very beginning about, mm. and I think that's something I, I need to learn to do is it's not good if I'm nice, 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 and then all of a sudden not. So I'm trying to learn that balance of being strong and, and true to, you know, what we, what we need as a brand need to demand and expect in our production. Definitely. And I think a lot of, you know, creative entrepreneurs face that challenge of numbers, even me too. Um, I, my mom does my bookkeeping because numbers is just not my thing. And then I work with an accountant for that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, And I I get that answer a lot from creatives here that I interview. Yes. QuickBooks gives me a migraine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I always get like so anxious at the end of the year when I have to turn in my numbers and all the tax stuff. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. no. So I'm sure another challenge that, you know, you deal with on an everyday basis is MS. So can you talk a little bit about your journey with that? And I know also you give back um, and help, you know, with your local MS chapter and um, often you donate a percent of sales to it. So can you talk a little bit about that? I think, um, you know, it's a big part of your story. Sure. Yes, it is. It's my first symptoms were six weeks before my my wedding I, um, oh my gosh in my late 20s and it was a very frightening time and it's I have remitting relapsing MS I often say that I'm very blessed with it um you know that I have many friends and people I've gotten to know who have progressive MS and that is not fun um I think the percentage is three out of four people with remitting relapsing it will turn progressive and I always say I'm going to be that one where it does not yes I I think I have a really super positive attitude about it sometimes I think it's denial though (laughs) it might not be a positive attitude it's but there are times that it's really hard and it's really hard for people to understand because it's not uh, we everyone with MS talks about this. Your friends will say, "But, but you look so good, and yeah. you do so well." And I know that you have experience with, you know, with my arthritis. Yeah, yes, and so you understand this. That it's I for years did really, really well, and the past couple of years have been my hardest, I think. And I think those were due to some, you know, pressures with business and a family member that went through health issues that was a big supporter and help kind of doing QuickBooks and all the financial parts of my business. And when um, all of a sudden I was kind of on my own and I went through um, optic neuritis where I've had that before where I lose vision, but it hasn't come back this time. And so I deal with blurry vision, which is not easy as a designer, I also lost my ability to sense um, my sense of smell and taste, which we're not sure if it was from a respiratory infection or if it was progression of MS. I never knew that could be a sign of progression with MS. Okay. So my doctors are not sure, but so this past couple of years have been harder, but And it's hard for, I think, even some of my very best friends to understand sometimes that I just, it's hard for me to maybe answer a text because my eyes are so tired and I feel nauseous because I can't see and I just can't Mm -hmm. look at a computer. I have to, I have to focus my eye time on work and 
So it's been hard, but I'm also still feel very blessed. I have, um, my family, you know, my siblings are great cheerleaders for me and remind me of my strength all the time and my nephews and nieces. And I do work with the, um, national chapter here and I'm co-chairing another, um, big fundraiser we have. Our event was postponed in May due to COVID, but we are hopefully going to have it at the end of August. And I try to give back because, uh, they're doing great work for us trying to, trying to find a cure for this very mysterious disease that has very different symptoms in, in different people. So it's so complicated and hard for people to understand, but it does, it does, um, motivate me because I, I want to kind of, I used to want to be the poster child for it and show that I was, you know, could do everything. And I've learned I can't, sometimes I'm too fatigued. I, it, it affects my social life more than anything. I, okay. Cause I kind of, I invest my energy into my work and again, got to kind of try to get back to finding that balance. But I will say for the most part, I'm, I'm luckier than a lot of people with it. And I hope that we, this is another thing you'll hear a lot in the MS community that we hope it's that MS stands for mystery solved someday soon and oh. that we can figure it out. I love that. So, you know, you stay really positive with this. So what advice would you give to someone, you know, who might have MS or maybe they have some other health issue that they're struggling with? What advice do you have for staying positive? Um, and kind of working through something like this? Uh, I try to, I do every morning when I'm having my coffee, I do keep a gratitude journal. Okay. And it's, you know, sometimes I'm grateful. Um, Patricia, you've been written down in my gratitude journal. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a cup of coffee, (laughs) sometimes. But I, I do try to recognize the the good things and how blessed I am and what I'm able to do, what I'm able to, um, to accomplish in a day with this business and the work we're trying to do and to employ more people. And, you know, so I, I stay motivated, but I also think it's really good to find someone that you can be really honest with mm-hmm. because you, you can't always be honest with, uh, sadly with how bad you're feeling some days because I worry sometimes if people knew how sick I felt there, they don't want to order because they don't know, you know, um, the, the strength of the business or myself, if that makes any sense. So I think it's good to find someone you can be completely honest with though, about your bad days. I call them, I used to call them uh, feeling messy. And my (laughs) little nephew said, he calls me shoo shoo said to his mom, well, he, he's actually graduating from high school today, but he was very little when he first said this, said, well, how, um, why does Shushu feel messy? Oh. And so now I call it when I'm feeling messy. Messy. And that's a much better description and very accurate of how you feel some days. So I think it's important to tell, have a, a friend or family member that you can be really honest with about your messy days. Yeah, and that is such great advice. Yes, I think that's very important. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, everyone has bad days. So I think even the gratitude journal, I think that's important too. And just recognizing the little things that are going well in life. Right. I, I mean, sometimes it's really little. Sometimes it's, you know, honestly, it's, it's I honestly, I've written your name down because of what you do to help support our brand. I, 
some days it's really a cup of coffee. It was it was definitely paper towels one day during COVID that I was able yes. to have delivered. <laughs> but it does. It is a good reminder. And I, I know that's a thing that a lot of motivational people and people talk about. But I, I do really believe when you are grateful, you start looking for it in your day mm-hmm. as well. And you recognize the simple things that make you smile. Definitely. So you know, that is so inspiring, I think, for a lot of people listening um, and motivates a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. Oh, I'm happy to. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to ever talk to anybody about MS that's going through it or something similar. I'm very, very ha- happy to share and listen. And so it seems like, you know, from the beginning, giving back and helping others was an important aspect of your business. So what are some other things that you love most about what you do? Uh, the Definitely the people that you meet, um, their stories. Would, I love hearing how people use the product or if they received it as a gift or where they're going with it. Um, I will say kind of our our, our girl is going places cause she's taking her bag to go somewhere. And I, I love, I just, I love, um, I love when people reach out and, you know, will share a- about the bag or that, that makes me very happy. I love, um, the people I've met at market, both from our customers who have become dear friends mm-hmm. to other brands that you, you spend in Atlanta, like, five days or more of your life with these people and you're sharing yeah. your, you share your ups and downs because you spend a lot of money to be there and you're mm-hmm. counting on it. And there's sometimes where there's very slow traffic and you're, you're, you're sharing kind of the, the ups and downs and you're in it together. And, um, you know, so I, I love that. I, I love the people. I definitely love the people I've met through the business. Definitely. So it sounds like your customers sort of inspire you a little bit, but is there anyone else um, in life or business that inspires you and keeps you going and motivates you or you look up to? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I'm a big fan of Tori Birch. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her aesthetic. I love that she tries to um, help other women with entrepreneurship. I've been fortunate to meet a couple people who have worked with her. And, um, you know, have been inspired and empowered by her. And I I just, I think she has a great aesthetic. I love what she did with Tori Sport. It's what, you know, kind of where we we're doing a lot. Golf has always been a big part, but we're doing a lot more tennis now, which we have some new things that we'll be coming out with that I'm excited about. So definitely she's a design and entrepreneur inspiration. My brother, David, who his line saved khaki his aesthetic I love and it, but it's much more minimalist and it's menswear. Um, our line is way too colorful for him. (laughs) I'm inspired because he stays so true to his product. Uh Everything is made in the U S they make it all themselves and everything from the zippers to the buttons, everything has to be made. And he is, he doesn't react to the market he doesn't care about publicity. He, um, celebrities buy his product all the time, but he would never tell you that. I only know that because his son works for him and we'll, we'll share who will give me the scoop on who was in the store that day. And 
but he doesn't, all he really cares about is creating great product and building a brand that um, is true to him and um, working with his son. And he, he's definitely inspiring. That's amazing. We'll have to check that brand out as well. <laughs> yes, it, it's, uh, please do. It's, it's very good. So who would be your dream customer for Crab and Cleek? Um, you know, it could be a celebrity or a royal or even, you know, someone that's maybe no longer with us. Like, who do you think is the Crab and Cleek girl? So the Crab and Cleek girl of our kind of in the real world um, customer, we cross demographics, which I love. We have very young girls that... Um, carry the bags. Um, we have teenagers, we have college, we have women in their seventies. We, we cross a ton of demographics and we have a, a handful of bags that men carry. And I, I, I know the ones when I'm designing them that, Oh, a man would buy this or a men's store may buy this, but apps, the celebrity that I would love to see carry one of our bags actually wore one of my t-shirts in a magazine when I had the line give and take and it happened um, at a time where I really needed a boost and I got mm-hmm. a, and it was Reese Witherspoon and I would love her to carry one of our bags. She, I'm fortunate that she wore one of my t-shirts and that was very exciting for me. And um, it'll be mo- even more exciting if I ever see her carry a bag. And I know that she knows about our line uh-huh um because i know somebody that worked with her and said yeah we we've seen your brand it's it it's very cute but um i'll be very excited if she ever carries a bag but i love um like just i met i i was fortunate to meet her briefly in new york and she was everything in those few moments she was everything that you think she is <laughs> definitely everyone says that that's everyone's you know, dream girl that I interview. It's so funny. And, you know, I love her style too myself. I think, you know, not just her style, but she's a great businesswoman, I think, with mm-hmm. her production company and her own clothing line and her book club. So I think there's a lot to admire um, from Reese for sure. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur or designer? What's one piece of advice? Listen to your gut. Um, your instincts are... I find that my instincts are usually right. And when I don't stay true to them are are some of the major mistakes and hiccups I've had. I think try to find a mentor. I wish that somebody had, my brother has been one, but when I first started out in that golf business that was seeing so much success and I've, made every mistake in the book, as I've said. And so I try, I try to, when somebody reaches out to me, like, could, would you take a phone call or have a cup of coffee with me? I always try to make time for it because I wish I had had someone and you're going to have ups and downs. You can be the hottest t-shirt brand and then something like 2008 happens and you can be on track for one of your best summers because you had your best PGA show ever and (laughs) COVID-19 happened. So I think it's um, to know that it's going to ebb and flow. You're going to have ups and downs and I'm learning now that you have to, you have to be better prepared for it. Like um, I'm thinking, you know, we could have, I'm hopefully not, but we could have a second wave of this. Yeah. 
near the holidays, which is our second busiest Busiest. season. Yeah. And so it's, I'm thinking about that now, but I think it's, you have to be, uh, to be an entrepreneur, I I am the opposite of risk adverse. I'm very risk tolerant in my (laughs) business life. And I don't know if that's a good thing, Um, but you have to be willing to take some risks, but listen to your instincts, find, find a mentor and try to, understand the ups and downs and try to prepare for them. And I, I'm still learning all of those things. Um, I don't, you have to keep learning every single day. Yeah. I think, you know, like you said, you have to keep learning and um, keep bettering yourself and your brand and your business. So that's great advice. So what does preppy mean to you since this is the preppy podcast? I always ask this. Yes. Um, I, I think it's timeless and classic I think it's about some key staples. And then I think preppy people have fun with those, those staples though. I think in your closet would be something that your mother wore, but you give it a little twist. And I love that preppy people who are kind of have this tradition though, love to mix patterns and colors. And I think it's fun. It's a lifestyle. It's an attitude. And I think it's gotten much more sophisticated, which I think is great in a very fun way. I think it was always fun, but I think it's taken on some twists and some better fits. And um, I think it, I just think it's fun. And definitely with the better fits. I see that for sure. Mm -hmm. So what's next for Crab and Cleek? Anything you can share, like a little sneak peek or something you're working on? Sure. I think um, We've struggled with, as I said, trying to maintain the right amount of SKUs of introducing new patterns and what, what, but there are some that we just can't edit out because keep, people keep demanding that we have them. So I think we, we had some adorable new things coming in for summer that kind of did not come in because of holdups with the pandemic and working with, um, more with Kelly from WH Hostess, who's been an amazing collaborator and it's true collaboration working with her. And I, I've loved it. Um, we have some really cute new things, but what as Crab and Cleek as a whole, I, what you, I think you're going to see is stories built around our, what I call our heroes. Um, some of our, our motifs that, people love, you're going to see more products around those. And I call them stories or edits. And so you'll see a a ginger jar edit and a no lifeguard edit and a French sailor and a main fisherman. And you'll see some other products, not just bags, um, some other products that we are developing and also collaborating with some other brands on. That's super exciting. Can't wait for that. Me too. I'm excited. So last question, let everyone know where they can find you, like what your website is, what your social media handle is, where can they find Crab and Cleek? Uh, crabandcleek.com and that's C-L-E-E-K. Again, it's a hard word, but it's it's that golf term. Um, yeah. Our Instagram is at Crab and Cleek. And we also have a flagstick Instagram, which is at Flagstick Golf, I believe. <laughs> I should know I that. think it's Flagstick Collection. Thank you. I'm glad yeah. you're <laughs> I'm grateful for you. (laughs) No problem. So everyone definitely go and check out Crab and Cleek. And they can reach out to me at shay at crabandcleek.com, S-H-E-A. 
I am not great at DMs. I'm trying to get better. I don't spend enough time on social media. I know people say they spend too much time. I need to spend more time on it. um, uh, So I'm not so great at the DMs. I'm definitely getting better, but I'm much better at emails. So people can um, feel free to reach out to me with any ideas, questions, or anything. I so appreciate talking to you, Patricia. This was fun. It's my first podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shay. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Mm